0: Welcome to the podcast of Faith Presbyterian Church here in Clinton, Louisiana. I'm glad you found us. My name is Tony Piles, and I'm the pastor here. I pray this recording brings you encouragement and growth in Christ, and we would love for you to join us in person anytime you are in town. Check our website, faithchurchclinton.org, for our current schedule of worship and Bible studies. And may God bring you blessing through what you're about to hear. Thank you. Well, welcome back. How are you all doing? I believe we're in Genesis 17 this morning. So, we had a great discussion last week about Abram and Sarai and Hagar and the the frustration of waiting on God and His promises, um, and the the reminder that you know it's been at least ten years that they're waiting for God to to answer these promises to bring these things to pass. Right? It's not like Dad said this morning he's going to take us for ice cream and it's been 45 minutes and we haven't left yet, right? Um, and they're, they continue to struggle to believe God's promises and God meets that struggle and provides them with signs, provides them with assurances, but it's still it's still a struggle with them uh, to walk in to walk by faith and not by sight because because they're not seeing a lot of what God had promised coming to pass yet. But they've had assurances again, right? So everything's taken care of, right? So let's see. End of chapter 16, how old is Abram? You sure? Yeah, it tells you. Yeah, it tells you in verse 16. Yeah, it's okay. You can look. It's not cheating. Now, last verse of chapter 6 says, Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. It so was 86, right? He's 75 when this thing gets going. Sarah is 65. So we're talking 11 years between God giving the promises and calling him out of the Chaldeans, and Ishmael is born. And Ishmael's not the one. Eliezer of Damascus wasn't the one. Your very own son who will go forth from your loins, he's the one. Okay, Ishmael goes forth from his loins. But no, Ishmael's not the one. So what do we do? He's 86, he's still waiting. Okay, now we start chapter 17. When Abram was 86 and a half years old. Oh, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. How long has it been since Ishmael was born? 13 years. 13 years. Ishmael's 13 years old, no other children, as far as we know. And God comes to him and touches the sore spot, right? Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram. But your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. The difference between Abram and Abraham, Abram means something like exalted father, and Abraham means father of a multitude. Small change, but significant difference and pointing to God's promise. Verse six I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish or confirm my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. All right, lots to talk about, but let's keep reading for a bit. Verse 9 And God said to Abram, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you. shall be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So far, so good? (laughs) Getting some mixed reactions. Nobody's saying anything with the facial expressions, especially the guys.
1: You said they were actually that age, or is there a reason that they live longer in those days?
0: They do seem so... Before the flood, they have very, very long ages, long lifespans. And after the flood, they seem to taper off. But well into the end of Genesis, you still have people living 120, 140 years. So, so they did actually live that long. Doesn't seem to be any reason not to, to take that at face value. Yeah, that he's and it's it's connected with Abraham's struggle. And it'll come up a little bit more in the next two chapters. Right? Um, so Robert De Niro is in the news lately because he's had another child. How old is he? I don't know. He's, he's up there. And it's like his seventh child. Um, and that's, that's rare enough. Well, plus it's Robert De Niro, right? If it happened to somebody in the church, right? That's probably not going to make the news. Unless for other reasons. But, but, but it's probably not his wife, who's the same age he is, who's born him this child right and that's the situation that abram's in right his wife is 10 years younger than he is but as god's about to make clear it's a child through sarai not a child through hagar not a child through some second wife right We've got to get sarai out of the way right no it's it's a child of this elderly couple who's up there in age right sarah laughs at the prospect that she's going to bear children We'll get to that. And it's through that child that this promise will be brought to pass. So, yes,
1: sir. Verse 6, uh, the word kings is used there. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's the original Hebrew word used. Was it also possibly the word judges? I'm thinking about that as a thing to our review of First Samuel about kings and whatever, so... um,
0: Yeah, that'd be the... That just struck me interestingly,
1: that for Samuel and the discussion of Samuel and kings versus judges, here's a reference long before.
0: Yes, and that's an important element of the promise. If you remember, if we go back to chapter 15, where God makes the covenant with Abraham... Um, He talks about, I will bring, right? Know for certain, it's back in 15 verse 13, that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years, right? So along the way to the fulfillment of this promise, the people that comes forth from Abraham will be enslaved and they'll be wandering around like, like Abraham is, but that's not the end of the promise. That's not, by when that comes to pass, the whole of the promise has yet to be realized. But no, they will actually be a nation and a great nation. And they will have rulers and kings who've come forth from Abraham. And of course, we, we think, we take it a little bit further, chasing that forward into the New Testament with Christ, who comes forth from Abraham. And sits at the right hand of God now, ruling. So, which Abraham at this point probably had no idea just what the fulfillment of that would look like. So,
1: the land, of the, of Israel?
0: the land of Canaan, right? And it's, I'm, I'm terrible with maps, but I'll try, All right? Here's the Mediterranean. There, it's water, right? And down here is the Red Sea. It's a little narrower, sorry. Put water there. And so, and then we've got like the Sea of Galilee or the Sea of Tenereth, and then the Jordan, and then the Dead Sea. Uh, And up here is the Tigris and Euphrates. Their headwaters are way up here. And then the Nile is... Nile deltas there, so depending on when we're reading, right? Palestine or Canaan is definitely this land between the Jordan and the Mediterranean, and between the the Sea of Chinnereth and the Dead Sea. But it expands, and some of its descriptions take it all the way up to the Euphrates and all the way down to the Brook of Egypt. So it's this whole land. It doesn't look like it necessarily now because of of centuries of of agriculture and war and devastation of the land. But this was an exceedingly fruitful land with seasonal rains, good for agriculture, good for crops, good for animals. Um, And it's the trade route between Asia and Africa, because this is desert, right? So... Peoples are naturally going to be flowing through here, which is part of why they're always at war, right? Because somebody's got a big army up here. Somebody's got a big army down here. And they're they're traveling through to get to each other to fight each other. And then the Greeks start colonizing along here, right? And the Philistines probably relate to the sea peoples. And so they settle along here. So it's a really, really busy place. But yeah, that's, that's the location that we're talking about, the, the land of Canaan. So Abram, who's relatively wealthy, I mean, he's got 318 army rangers working his ranch, right? So that he can go and and rescue his nephew. And yet he doesn't have his own kids, except for Ishmael, right? The Lord reminds him again in verse 6, right? That I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. All right, usually when the Lord has assured Abram, there's been a sign, right? And this is something that's happened throughout Genesis. Anytime the Lord enters into an agreement with people where he makes promises, sometimes he imposes on them obligations. And especially when he needs to assure them, there's usually a sign, right? What's the sign here? Circumcision. Circumcision. What was the sign in chapter
1: 15?
0: Yes. Yeah, the bloody alley made of pieces of animals, right? That the Lord then walks between. What was the sign after the flood? Rainbow. Rainbow. Yeah, what was the sign at the beginning of chapter 15 before the covenant ceremony, right? Because there's, there's two areas where Abram struggles in chapter 15. The covenants in response to the second one, what was the first one? It's the stars. And we could go backwards, we could go forward, look at it, it's the stars, right? Brings them out and says, look up at the stars and count them. If you can, is the implication, right? So shall your offspring be. Um, circumcision... So like these signs, right? The stars were there before, right? But they didn't have the significance that brought assurance to Abram until God brought him out and pointed to the stars and said that they did. Does that make sense? Uh, We talked about that with Genesis 9, right? This because of the laws of physics, the way God created the world, that's almost certainly not the first time a rainbow had appeared in the sky. But when it did, in light of what had happened and in light of what God said, it took on this significance of God hanging up his war bow because he's done making war on humanity. And he'll never destroy the world in that way again.
1: When, who was it? Gideon that put out a fleece or was told to put out a fleece. And then after that occurred... It was suggested that, or said, you shall not need that. You don't need to ask for a sign
0: any longer. And I remember that right. That's a tricky passage because the narrator describes what Gideon does, but the narrator doesn't give us any overt clues to assess what Gideon does. And so we're left scratching our head, Right? Nowhere in that are we encouraged to lay out fleeces of our own, which is good, right? I mean, you can get a sheepskin at Costco, but I don't know how well that would work, right? So nowhere are you said, go therefore and do likewise. But also nowhere is it said, you know, Gideon really shouldn't have done that. So we have to read wider and more deeply to ask, for instance, is this a a pattern of hesitancy, perhaps, that we see in Gideon's life in other places? Uh, We don't have help from the narrator in terms of, and what he did was evil in the sight of the Lord, like we do in Kings, right? on every other page, it seems like. We do have Jesus in the Gospels um, confronting his generation about their desire for a sign. Yeah. The speak of the sign. yeah, it basically says you don't need a sign and if you had a sign, you just ignore it. I'm interrupt you for the, a
1: couple of weeks ago and God was, was proving evolution to be false and what he said was Basically, there's a design, and it it would be
0: 10 to the 260th power. Basically, in the beginning, God created all this. What do you say about the rainbow? There was
1: rainbows going on long, long before science knew about it, but for it to have all been an accident, it would mean a tornado touching down in a junkyard and leaving a fully ascended 747. 10 to the 265 miles far I go
0: that be excited to see.
1: Well, I, I hear a share of folks say from time to time in my lifetime, you know, when they're looking for God's direction, they're looking for understanding where they should go or getting an answer from God, and they'll conversation say, well, I'll just put a fleece out tonight. So, are you suggesting that that's not necessarily accurate? And seeking God's
0: will or understanding God's mind for you or? So when I was in the seminary, uh, we had a class with Bebo Elkin. I don't know if some of you may have met Bebo Elkin. He's a pretty great guy. Um, But he spent a lot of time with college students. He was a ruling elder, uh, but did a lot of work with RUF. And he talked about um, decision-making and people trying to seek God's will. Um, And, you know... um, I had another pastor call it lucky dipping, right? you open your Bible to a random page, stick your finger on it, you read and try and make sense of what your finger landed on. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him for he delights in him. I guess I'm going to leave him sitting there on the side of the road and we'll see if the Lord delivers him or not. Yeah. Two boats in a helicopter. But, but Bebo talked about the, the funnel of decision-making instead, right? If you want to, if you're asking, yeah, it's in Psalm 22. Yeah. Um, if you're, right, if you're trying to make a godly decision about something, where to go to school, who am I going to marry, right? What kind of car to buy, right? Where to go for vacation, right? Well, you ask questions to narrow things down. You said the first question you ask is, is it legal or illegal? That actually eliminates a surprising number of options that people are considering, right? Just start with a question. Is it legal or illegal, right? If it's illegal, God does not want you to do it, right? Now we can get into questions of God's law versus the law of the land. And, right, that gets a little trickier than that. But first question asked, is it legal or illegal, right? And the second and third, I may mess up the word, is it wise or unwise, right? And then is it, is it possible or impossible? And that, that may ought to be the second question instead of the third. You start to go through those questions, it's really going to narrow down your options. Now, it's not going to tell you whether you should stop for gas at this intersection or, or go four or five miles down the road, but I also reckon God's not going to strike you down because you got gas at the raceway instead of the Valero, right? Should have stopped the shell anyway. But this is, I think, much more helpful of a grid for thinking through decision-making than just waiting for God to drop an answer in your lap, right? Putting out a fleece or waiting on a word for the, from the Lord and things like that. Just think through it. If you, if you work through a process like this and you're left with still multiple options, well, what do you want? Because if you're walking with the Lord, if you're in his word, if you're fellowshipping with his people, the Lord is shaping your desires. Right. Now note that that's not the first question, because you might want something that's illegal or something that's unwise, or something that's frankly impossible, right Yes, so, yeah, yeah. yeah, so biblical versus unbiblical, I would fit in with this legal versus illegal. There's just fewer syllables. But yeah, that's a good question.. What? Yeah. Well, then uh, part of the question in that context, especially, um, relates around what is the duty of the lesser magistrate, right? If you have unjust rulers, then what is the duty of lesser rulers to oppose and try to put right? that unjust or unlawful rule, right? Which is different than people just looking around at each other and saying, you know what? I don't want to be subject to that guy anymore. He's kind of a jerk, right? Uh, But when you have those who are invested with authority and with the power of government, At that intermediate level between the people who are being oppressed and then higher rulers who are doing the oppressing, part of the duty of their office includes opposing abusive authority and even taking up arms to do so. That's part of the lawful authority that they're entrusted with in the defense of those they govern. Now whether that extends to throwing tea off the boat, I don't know. But that's water under the bridge at this point. So
1: So that last one could be self-will versus God's will.
0: Well, that's the reason you asked this question yeah. last. Yeah, that's the reason this is a this is a funnel, right? Self versus God's yeah. will, right. The reason you asked these questions first. So
1: So it's a or nothing? A- necessarily a
0: desire that's correct yeah it will help eliminate illegal or unbiblical unwise or impossible choices All right you know i'm telling you if it's illegal it's gonna be a lot cheaper that would be wise. not if you get caught <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that depends on how you look at it. If it's illegal and you get caught, you get free room and board. <laughs> you might even get a job, yeah. 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 Depending where you go, you might get free cable. <laughs> <Mike>. <laughs> no <flags>. yeah. <laughs> All right, back to Genesis 17. It's a bit of a long detour but but the question about covenant signs and them them having significance because God says they do is important as we think about circumcision because uh, the Israelites were not the only ones who practiced circumcision right other surrounding cultures some of them practiced circumcision some of them didn't some of them practiced it differently or at different times of life so in Egypt um, people were circumcised with when they came of age Rather than as a child, which that's it's gotta be awful. Of course we got Abram's household, most of whom are not eight days old at this point, so um, yeah, Yes. So, the way, one way that's helpful to think of that is think of two or three covenants, right? We have the covenant of works. So, this is the arrangement with Adam in the garden, right? Whereby by perfect obedience, he could merit life, or by disobedience, he would merit death for himself and all his descendants. That covenant's broken, right? And so following that, we have a covenant of grace. Where God relates to us through a different mediator, right? He relates to us through Christ instead of through Adam. And so what we have in the in these various covenants that we see in the life of Abraham that we see later are several different administrations of the one covenant of grace as it's reminded, uh, as it's communicated to later generations. um, And then we also see in it a progressive understanding as we get more and more information, right? So we know from Genesis 15 For instance, that we know from Genesis 9 that God's not going to destroy the world by a flood anymore, but we also know people are probably going to deserve it. So we're left with, how's that going to work? Then we get to Genesis 15 and we see this covenant with Abraham, Abram at the time, where God walks through the pieces. And the significance of that being, right? If the terms of the covenant are broken, the curses are going to fall not on Abraham, but on God. Right? So we get a further glimpse into this covenant of grace and how it's going to work out that God is going to take on himself the covenant curses. We walk through that a little bit further. We see in Genesis 17 that in the outworking of that, God's going to work through families and that whole households are involved in the covenant. And so the covenant sign right there's now a sign that can be applied to people and it's applied to all of abram's male descendants all right and in that sign with circumcision there's also a symbolic cutting off all right so that if you violate the covenant right it's possible for people who grow up in abram's household to be cut off from the covenant promises, right? They're set apart. They're designated as people belonging to the covenant, but it is possible for them to reject the covenant and be cut off from its promises. And we continue to walk that forward. We learn more with later administrations as Israel becomes a nation and they're given the law at Sinai uh, as the covenant with David is made in 2 Samuel 7. And now we know that That God's fulfillment of this is going to involve a son of David who will reign on the throne eternally. We walk that through with the new covenant talked about in Jeremiah. And then all the way into the new Testament, we see these things coming to fruition in Christ and that those various covenants all fit under this rubric of the covenant of grace. And we could talk about behind these two are what's often called the covenant of redemption. Sometimes it's called the covenant of peace. And what this comes down to is an agreement between the father and the son and the spirit. It's an intra-Trinitarian covenant where essentially the son of God covenants with the father to redeem a people for himself and then pour out the Holy Spirit on them by fulfilling the terms of the covenant of works on their behalf and taking the curses for that broken covenant on himself. So, so these various covenants with Abraham and others that we see all fall under our, our growing and increasing understanding of the covenant of grace. Does that make sense? Okay. Okay. Well, we see that the symbolic threat of circumcision um, at the end of that section, verse 14, right? It can happen to one who's circumcised. We'll see it happen with Ishmael later, but it's also a threat to those who are part of the covenant family who refuse the covenant sign, right? So verse 14, any uncircumcised male who's not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So that we can can talk about the sin of neglecting baptism, right? Baptism is a right of every covenant child. It's a responsibility of... Parents and the church to see that children are raised in the covenant and have the covenant sign applied to them. And it's, I would argue, it's wrong. It's unlawful to unduly delay baptism or try and avoid it. And this is something you saw pop up in the early church, as people associated baptism with the remission of sins, with the the cutting off of the flesh because of the relationship between baptism and circumcision. And so there developed this idea then that baptism washes away sins in a way that I don't have access to again after I've been baptized. And so you had this development of people delaying baptism until their deathbed. Like they didn't, they refused to be baptized until it was almost too late because they were afraid that they'd get baptized and then they'd sin and they'd just be out of luck, right? Uh, Augustine's father. So Augustine had a Christian mother and a pagan Roman father, and his father was baptized on his deathbed. And that's probably an example of, of Augustine's dad. Knew the faith from his wife, learned more of it, especially as his son began to study it, but feared um, this idea of sinning after baptism. And so he delayed it until the last possible moment. So anyway, the teaching of this chapter helps us understand that that the covenant sign is not to be avoided or delayed or, or put off. That that's actually a breaking of the covenant.
1: Because
0: It is, yeah. Of
1: course, I believe Abraham was older than that, but that was the beginning of the covenant.
0: Yes. Yeah. I imagine they didn't get much work done for a few days. I wouldn't think so. All right. So, verse 15. That's all for Abraham, right? How's Sarah feel about all of this?
1: We laughed
0: too. Well. Let's read. Uh, so verse 50, chapter 17, verse 15. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. They both mean princess. So we're not, we're honestly not sure what the significance of the specific names are. But the name change is significant. It goes along with Abraham's change of name. I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. Abraham's how old? So Sarah is 89 because she's 10 years younger. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? He can do the math, right? He's 99 now, nine months later, he'd be 100. Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham, again, right, he's adding these things up. He's like, no, nah, this, this doesn't work. So Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Right, I've got a son. I've got a son who came forth from my own loins, right? Um, just like a couple chapters earlier, right? Eleazar of Damascus is going to be my heir. Right, God said, no, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. And you shall call his name Isaac, right? You shall call his name He laughs. You laughed? Good. Let's name him that. Poor Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes and I will make him into a great nation, but I will establish my covenant with Isaac. Him Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. So Ishmael is part of the covenant family. Ishmael gets a blessing. But the continuing line of the covenant family will not go through Ishmael. Will go through Isaac. When he finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all those born in his house were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house. And he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day. As God had said to him, Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised, and all the men of his house, those born in the house and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. There we go. It's chapter 17.
1: I find it um, interesting that Ishmael is going to be blessed, but is Ishmael part of the so-called chosen people?
0: No. I remember from the previous chapter, it's already been decreed that he will settle over against all of his brothers. And there will be an enmity between the, the offspring of Ishmael and the offspring of Isaac.
1: I, I just find it interesting that uh, these non chosen people, like Father, for example, he stumbled into the relationship with Joseph, Scripture says that Potiphar was blessed because of Joseph. Yes. So, so if you hang out with the right people, you'll get blessed. Again.
0: Well, yeah, some of that will rub off on you. And yet you may still be outside of Christ.
1: We do know who the 12 princes are
0: They do get named later.
1: Didn't they become the nations? Children of Ishmael
0: came to Arabs and they
1: still fight against the Jews, right? That claim is often made. So you don't, you don't
0: necessarily. I don't. I can't trace it backwards or forwards. But, but yeah, that claim is often laid out that, that um, Muslims will trace their pedigree back to Ishmael instead of Isaac and try and claim Abrahamic blessings. Because of that? Also, I, I know that
1: the, uh, when God told Abraham uh, to, to circumcision, he, he did it that day. didn't delay. He
0: yeah. Did it. Yeah, there's no delay. Yeah. I think that's, that's
1: real significant. And yeah, he did it
0: immediately. It may have taken a couple days. I don't know. He's got an awful lot of people in his household. <laughs> But yes, yeah, it's, there's no, right? It's like with your kids, delayed obedience is disobedience. Well, Abraham doesn't delay his obedience. A couple other things to think about, um, right? In in relationship to the covenant sign given, right? Um, These are good questions to ask. Anytime there's a covenant, with whom is the covenant made? Who are the expected heirs? And to whom is the sign applied? Some of you know that I I grew up Baptist, right? And that's a big question. If you grew up Baptist, how on earth did you become Presbyterian? These questions, right? The work of the Holy Spirit, uh, the discipleship of godly men, uh, who would probably rather I stayed Baptist. They're teaching of scripture to me and my application of what they taught. But in particular, these questions, thinking about covenants in the Old Testament, ask with whom is the covenant made, right? Made with Adam and Eve in the garden, made with Abram here, made with the people of Israel uh, at Sinai, made with David, right? With whom is it made? Who are the expected heirs of the covenant, right? When a covenant's made, it's almost always expressly laid out that the children of those with whom the covenant is made are the expected heirs of that covenant. The promises will fall on their offspring. And then if there's a covenant sign, to whom is that sign apply? Right? What's the covenant sign here? Circumcision. To whom is it apply? Every male child, right? Everybody right now, all the, all the males, because they haven't been circumcised yet. But then moving forward, every male child born in the household at eight days old, right? So the covenant sign is applied to use the language of the confession, right? To believers and their children. This is the pattern, Right? This is the pattern here. This is the pattern with Israel. This is the pattern with David. This is the pattern that carries you forward into the New Testament, where we have the new covenant, where the sign is baptism, and where Peter in Acts 2 expressly says, this promise is for you and for your children, and for those who are far off, as many as who will believe, right? That's a good question. Yeah. 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 Well, because the new covenant sign is expands. It's bloodless because the sac- the once for all sacrifice has been offered, and it expands so that it it applies. To all of God's people, and not just the males. Yeah. The question was about the difference between circumcision and baptism, because circumcision only applies to the male offspring, and baptism applies to women as well. I
1: just rumbled through my mind of uh, the other occasion where there was a mass circumcision left the chosen people vulnerable to a military situation. Now, remember that, right? Well,
0: it was the other way around, right? Dinah's brothers um, uh, talked the people of Shechem into circumcising themselves and then yeah. they're, they're out of action for a couple days. And so that was a, yeah.
1: a reference to the people that were circumcised were not all of the military okay. started. Yeah.
0: Sorry, Last few chapters down the road. You're reading ahead, Kenny. We're not there yet.
1: So they knew that was a good strategy based on this past experience here.
0: Gee, we were pretty vulnerable. Yeah. Let's, uh, we could put that to use. Yeah. All right. Let's pray. We'll, uh, we'll tackle Genesis 18 next week, where, where all the struggles of faith for Abraham and Sarah are all gone by the wayside, right? Okay, what you talking about right there. Uh, that so in Joshua five, as they're entering the land, they you do have the people of Israel having to circumcise themselves because they didn't circumcise themselves in the wilderness. And they've gotta hang back a little for a couple of days before they before they go up against Jericho. So that may have been what you had in mind. So yeah. Thank you for that. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for thank you for the promise of grace. Thank you for entering into a covenant with your people instead of just destroying us in the garden in the person of Adam and Eve. Thank you for walking with us for calling us to yourself for applying the sign of your promises to your people, giving us a sign that we might apply to ourselves and to our children. Lord, I pray that we might be encouraged as we read the life of Abraham, as we see his struggles in faith. Pray that we might be encouraged by the way you walk with him through that. You continually point him to the promises, draw him to yourself and give him assurance for himself and for his children. Lord, we pray that we would draw comfort and encouragement as well. We pray you'd be with us this week that you be with us this morning as we continue to engage your word, to approach you in worship, to sing your praises, to draw near to the throne of grace and prayer. We ask all of these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You've been listening to the podcast of Faith Presbyterian Church here in Clinton, Louisiana. Check our website, faithchurchclinton.org, for more teaching and for our current schedule of events if you'd like to drop in. We pray this recording has been a blessing to you. Go in peace.